Hello, beautiful people. I'm Patrick. And I'm Wojciech. And you are listening to Brains and Beards show. Episode number one, estimation pitfalls in mobile apps. Enjoy. Hey, Patrick, how are you? Hello, Wojtek. I'm fine. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm pretty well myself. Thanks. So I heard we're recording a podcast today. So what are we going to talk about? So in this episode, we're going to talk about uh, something which uh, happens very often to us. Uh, it's like a client come to us with an idea and a question usually attached to it. How much would that cost? How much would uh, programming my idea cost? Right. And mostly uh, these requirements and this idea comes in the form of a visual form or like, you know, screenshot or something like that. And mostly it represents a happy path. It means like uh, an idea which always succeeds. There is no room for error, let's say. It's, it's, it's kind of superficial view of, of the application. Usually the app is much more than that, right? Um, but as well, this episode is for um, our fellow developers, which uh, are charged um, in estimating tickets, like, for example, in Scrum Sprints. Usually in Scrum Sprints, uh, you meet every two weeks with the whole team and the product owner presents you a ticket, an idea, a, a feature which should be implemented, right? And um, you are the one who, who needs to put a number on it who have to say, has to say mm, how much it's gonna take, how much it's gonna cost and so on, right? And um, in order to, to present this, uh, to motivate you um, more for this episode, let's say, I, I would like to use a metaf metaphor and I would like to introduce an adjective, uh, which I heard not so, so long time ago and I, fa I found it very fitting. And the, the adjective is seaworthy, right? What, what is seaworthy? What does it mean? Seakeeping ability or seaworthiness is a measure of how well suited a watercraft is to condition when underway. A ship or boat which has good seakeeping ability is said to be very seaworthy and is able to operate effectively even in high sea states. And the last sentence is very important. So operate effectively even in high sea states. Because if you look at the ship, right, uh, it's kind of easy to see. A ship is a ship. But uh, that's very, again, superficial look at the, at, at the kind of complicated um, engineer, engineering endeavor. So what you're trying to say is some apps are built uh, in a way that they can only survive in a puddle of water in front of your house. Others can like are okay when you put them on the lake uh, and only some of them will su survive a transatlantic uh, trip, right? Uh, yeah, exactly. Like, you know, a, a part of that, what you can see with the naked eye when you look at sheep, a uh, sheep contains as well uh, of ballast, right, which keeps you upright when the waves are coming on, the, high, the strong wind is blowing. Uh, they have nav very complicated navigation computers, a, a radar or a radio to communicate in case of emergency. And uh, all that and many more things like rescue boats and rescue facilities, um, all that uh, kind of makes the ship 
something uh, which can survive when as well the bad weather is coming and not only looks good in the park in the harbor when you have a party on it, right? And um, the same is with, with, the, with mobile applications. Um, because you, you can, perhaps it, that's your goal. Just you want to, uh, want to make a demo application. So just to show the investors and so on. But uh, uh, to make the application seaworthy, so ready for the prime time, ready for many users, which gonna use it perhaps in the way you never anticipate. Uh, it's something else. And this is something which we very often forget in estimation. So, uh, so it's very important that we are not only look at the application, um, you know, like a, from the, the top, but as well think about what else has to be done to make the app ready for the prime time. And, and we pick some of the of, of points which are often forgotten, uh, and there are many more. So it's very hard to judge <laughs> which are, are the best. But we try to keep the one which that which are you know which were the most forgotten um, in, in estimations. Okay, so let's focus on those that are the most common and we think that they apply to any type of the application. Uh, what would you start with? Uh, I would start personally uh, with error states. That is something which is, I'm pretty sure, the most forgotten feature uh, in quotation of every application. So error state is... Um, is something, you know, what should happen when you stray away from the happy path? Uh, for example, what should happen when you have a bad internet connection? Or what should happen when you try to buy a product and it's already sold out? Or when you need to make a free connection to your API uh, in order to complete a task, but only two of, of, of them succeed? What should happen then? And this is kind of easier to implement and imagine uh, in UI because, well, you can show a banner, you can show a retry button or, or implement uh, some sort of the um, pull to refresh mechanic. Uh, you shouldn't need to restart the application. That's kind of what is um, what you can see, what you can imagine from the outside. But inside, there is much more work to do because um, it's... Uh, what you don't want in application is that this error management of this all complicated states is spread across all the application. And then you have a nightmare in maintaining it and then keeping it up to date. So you really would like to, to have a central place where, where you um, do all the error management in your app. And as you can imagine, if you want to have a central uh, place, it's easier to, to think about it from the beginning instead of adding it later on to already complicated application. And that's why it's important to not forget it in estimations. Also, when you look uh, from the UI perspective, it's not always as simple as showing a, but uh, a button or a banner because you have different types of errors. You have errors that you cannot recover from uh, inside the app. For example, the user is completely offline and the application requires an internet connection. It could be something that uh, can be retried automatically, like you're fetching a list of posts, it failed, you can try it half a second later by yourself. And sometimes you have to know the user that you're retrying, like when you're ordering a taxi and the request, you don't get the response that the request went through 
successfully, you don't know whether the taxi has been ordered or no. Uh, the user should be aware that something went wrong and there might be might be complications. Yeah, yeah, very true. So a lot of times it uh, gets even more more complicated than that. So what you're saying is like uh, when you get asked about like an estimation quote uh, about the new app, it usually uh, do we see often this kind of information like oh um, the errors situation. For this particular situation, the errors should be handled in a particular way. Do we see this specified or or not often? I, I would say that many times it's not part of the um, requirements when you get, especially when you start to work with a client and the client is not very, um, let's say, experienced. Of course, that changes uh, along the process because, you know, you, you, you keep... Uh, Mm, you keep teaching them uh, how, how to design the features and so on. So it gets better. On the, uh, uh, it evolves. It gets better along the time. Even in experienced teams, it can still happen because sometimes PO doesn't have a technical expertise and uh, um, perhaps they don't know how the backend works and they don't know that the feature can mm, sometimes fail and you have to write a code for it. So I would say it's you know it's uh, it will always happen that uh, you will get something to estimate and there is no explicit um, definition of error states and this is something which uh, should come from you as a developer and shouldn't be forgotten in estimation. Okay, so this next. Okay, week. so this is uh, just to sum up one thing. It is our role as developers to make sure those uh, things uh, don't go unnoticed to point it out, to make sure it's covered by the estimation, that it's covered by design. So on the product level, we agree what should happen on particular errors, right? Yes. Because it's ultimately the developers who can see best what uh, what can go wrong. Exactly. The next one would be error reporting. Uh, and this is, uh, again, often forgotten because you don't really need it so much um, when you think about web. And often a, a company has already a web application um, and they just want to get a mobile application, you know, along this, this web app. So they already have in mind that perhaps error reporting is not that important because when you have web, you can get a lot of things from your logs. Uh, you're logging a lot of stuff when a request hits the server uh, and you can kind of analyze them uh, and see if uh, the app works as uh, expected. And in case there are some er errors, you can um, you have a lot of traces to follow to find out what is, uh, what is wrong with the app. But on the mobile, uh, it's a different story altogether. Uh, if you don't do anything, if you don't implement error reporting, then you uh, potentially don't even know if your app is not working because the users can opt out for delivering exceptions um, through, let's say, uh, App Store Connect or Google Play Store. And then you don't see anything. And then the second thing is, like, if you, even if the users opt in for this, but your application is in React Native, you will only see native crashes. So you want it won't be very helpful for you if the error is somewhere in JavaScript or TypeScript because you will just see uh, some crashes in the uh, UI view, let's say. 
so this is why you need to do something, especially if you if you your app is in written in React Native, you need a, a way to um, deliver good error reporting to your developers to find and fix bugs. And to find a bug is not only to know that the, the application crashes on this particular line of code, because uh, perhaps, okay, perhaps it's enough, but in many cases it won't be. Um, and in many cases you would like to know where the user were before, uh, what action was made, uh, which led to this crash, um, perhaps what state uh, the internet was in, if they had a good internet connection or not, or um, what state of the store, like if you use Redux, um, what state of the store was uh, in the time of the crash, and as well what is super interesting, in which state the app was. Like, for example, was it in background? Was it in the foreground? Uh, was it open through the... Um, pressing on the home icon or it was more uh, started by uh, deep linking uh, you know this all the things are, are very important uh, to speed up um, speed up uh, discovery of, of, of a reason why a bug happens and, and at the end it will make your app uh, better faster because you know if you have all the information you can um, program a better application and all that, what I said, you know, it's like uh, a lot of a lot of work at the beginning. It doesn't come for free. There is no service which gives you all this data. There are some services which gives you nice uh, exceptions in React Native, right? But they won't deliver you for free, like all the other things I said, like a state of the store, state of the app, and so on. This is something which you have to program. Yeah, those would be breadcrumbs that you have to live on the uh, live on the way while users performing tasks and if nothing no error happens they they just get thrown out but if an error happens you have a log of like the last 10 or 15 actions that they made uh, and all the information about it yes and this is something which uh, no clients will ask you for basically this is something which you have to say okay you will need this because otherwise you will have problems and this is not something which comes and, you know, like with every feature, uh, it's something more like you program once and then you use it for the whole application life. Ultimately, you probably also want to uh, rescue yourself from the crash because a, a crash is never a nice user experience. So when there is any ex exception happening, uh, apart from reporting it somewhere, you could also... I know reset the state to a safe one, like for example, just after logging in to make sure the, the user goes back to a situation, like his action is lost, but the application does not crash. It would be nice to take him to a, to a safe place. That, that's something which I would more put in error state and in error state management, because this definitely is even harder to do than just reporting an error, right? Recovery from the error is, is a complicated thing. Some, some languages don't even do it at all, like Erlang. If I'm not mistaken, Erlang uh, idea is to crash and start from the beginning. Yeah, uh, so, so yeah, definitely very, I would put it to the first point, to be honest, uh, because it's as well, it comes with every feature, right? Every feature needs a different error recovery. Um, okay. Uh, to to go f uh, to follow on with the next point and push notifications. 
This is something uh, which uh, most probably every application has. And every developer hates. Yeah. <laughs> That's something which every, almost every application has. But uh, because, you know, sometimes this is motivation. I need, uh, like a client comes and say, I need an uh, application because I want to engage my users more. And I cannot do it with a web app, let's say. Right? It's one of the motivations. If it's good or not, that's a different story. But this is one of the motivations. And there are two things. Like push notifications can be very easy or very hard. Like a basic push notification is something for me, like it comes from, uh, from a service and uh, it just displays something on your screen. And if user taps on it, the app starts. And that's all. That's super easy. That's like a probably four lines of code or perhaps let's say 15 lines I of code. I think it's, I would say it's super easy to make it work. It's pretty hard to make it work 100% reliable. Yeah. <laughs> because this is, push notifications are something that you don't really have control over because, uh, for example, uh, Apple can decide that you're sending too many push notifications and they will just silence some of them that they don't think are necessary. And you have no control over this process. Uh, on uh, Android, like if you want to make sure your push notification gets um, shown in a particular way, for example, like it pops up in the in the top part of the screen, for older Android devices, you have to do it in one way, like the uh, priority of the notification itself. On the newer Android devices, you have to use channels and it's decided on the application level what priority a particular channel has. Uh, then you go into what background should you give to the icon because some of the, like you have to think about the dark mode, the light mode, uh, especially on Android, some of them work well with transparent background. Some of them expect a particular color. And so uh, I would say that the simple case, as you say, it's like you follow a tutorial on the, somewhere online, 50 lines of code, bang, you got your first notification and it's working. But I think that's where the hard part starts and you start will start getting into edge cases. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I think one of the edge cases that you particularly, um, I would say, consider a challenge would be deep, like, deep linking, right? Yeah, that's for me the hardest one. It's, yeah, you're right. We have the, the, the easy one, which I described at the, at the beginning and then the middle layer, which you described when you want to really uh, use the whole power of the notification. As well, I learned, I didn't know it uh, um, a few months ago that you have like a special emergency uh, forced push notifications on iOS. Uh, I learned it because I started using Home Assistant. Before that, I didn't even know that something like that exists. So the push notifications definitely very complex, um, complex product feature and if you want to use it for uh, 200% it, it takes a while definitely but the, yeah the, the, the hardest things for me I would say it's a deep linking and uh, okay perhaps not, it's not even a part of the push notification because uh, it can as well happen if you click on a link but often many often is that if you want that you want to take a user to a very specific place after clicking on a push notification and uh, that's something very easy to do on the mobile, uh, sorry, on the web, because on the web, every page is kind of separated. And you are used to taking the, all the data you need for every page from the database and so on. So it's kind of easy to render every page um, 
out of order, let's say, out of the flow. Where on the mobile, um, many times you like a, say let's say let's say a detail view of a product. Um, it's a part of the flow, which is like a home screen. Then you have a list of of let's say a categories. And inside of the categories, you have the tools, let's say. And inside of the tools, there is a hammer. That's your detail page of a hammer. And uh, many times in this flow, the data is uh, passed through from one screen to another. And because many times we don't have this concept of the DB. Uh, and if you start, if you want to render a detail page of the hammer from the notification because the notification perhaps says, oh, that the price changed and you can buy this tool much cheaper now. Uh, so when you click on the notification, you would like to be taken to this place where you can buy it, right? But as well, you will have a back button and the back button, will, you will expect that it would lead you from the tool, uh, from the hammer, from the tool detail page, it would, would lead you to categories and to the tools, let's say, and then another back button from there, which would lead you to home. And this is something uh, which is hard to to, um, to do just from a one notification if you don't have, uh, if you didn't plan it um, from the beginning. Like if you plan um, this idea of deep linking from the start of the, your application, uh, perhaps you will have a way to, to access the state, to get the IDs and so on then it's much easier. But if you try to add it like later on, um, because you haven't estimated, for example, <laughs> at the, and you are ready to, to release the application and somebody comes, oh, but uh, comes to you and, say to, and says, okay, we need this deep linking, then it's, 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 it's an effort and it shouldn't be forgotten. That's, that's why I mention it here. It's not about the push notification, it's more about like deep linking, but it's a, a essential part of push notification, I would say. As you say, like a good application setup would uh, help immensely with that. For example, I can imagine that using GraphQL for your data would make it very simple because you can just download all the data, like fetch all the data you need in the final screen. When you have like opening the hammer, it will download the whole category information, the tools information and so on. But if you're building your data as you go, going through different categories with Redux and, and storing it in a state, like, of course, you would be missing some of them and you will have to refetch them. It's, yeah, it's a challenge. Also on the product side, when you mentioned that uh, when the user clicks on a deep link that takes him to a hammer and well, the question, what do they expect when they tap the back button? Uh, I'm not sure if I know what they would expect, right? It's, uh, it gets a bit more complicated when you think about it. Uh, and that's something also for the PO to to, to think about because uh, it's probably on a case-by-case -case basis depending on the type of notification yes. and when they are triggered. Yes. Okay, cool. Okay, uh, let's cut uh, the push notification subject for now. Uh, uh, it's already triggering PTSD for me. Uh, and let's move to something uh, much nicer and easier and less complicated, right? Something like how to internationalize your app. Yes, and, and thank you for, for pronouncing this word. It's hard for me to tell it. So yeah, I don't have to say it now. I18N. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, here I would say that the, it's often, what is often forgotten, it's not like a translation, right? That's usually everybody has it. On the in the notebook, 
Um, but what is often forgotten is the, um, the sheer amount of testing you have to do um, because many languages has different, um, they are di you know, they are different in length. So for example, everybody knows, okay, German language tends to be a little bit longer than an English one and so on, right? Especially and the length of the particular words, right? Like, yes, uh, yeah, true. And this introduce, uh, introduces problems with line breaks exactly. on like narrow screens, stuff like that. Exactly. And, um, and sometimes, you know, like uh, perhaps you think about, uh, you translate only the part of the, the, the string and you connect it to another string and uh, perhaps that works in most of the languages, but then you have a French which has different punctuations. Um, which as well is co complicated. So uh, once you start to have more than one language, you really have to test, test them all all the time when you introduce a new feature because it's not guaranteed that it's going to work. But as well, there are more complicated stuff in this bucket, uh, which is... Uh, yeah, you can have a language that reads from right to left. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then um, many times you forget to support plurals so you know sometimes uh, uh, it's uh, many applications then have something like free apple <laughs> and so on uh, and yes no i just wanted to complain about the polish language where in english it's fairly easy where you have like one apple and two or more apples but in polish it would be a singular apple has one grammar form if you have between two and four apples, then the second one, and from five and more, there's another one. And then we go back from like 11 to 14. It's a new grammar and like, uh, it's totally bonkers, the, the whole setup. Yeah, perhaps, this is perhaps why Siri doesn't speak Polish. You know, like they have everything else but Polish, no. Um, it's complicated language. I, 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 can, I can understand that. Uh, but there's well other things, you know, there's uh, date, uh, which everybody likes to read the, the date they used to. So I, I, you know, for me, it's very complicated if the date consists of month, day, and then year. That's like, I cannot process that. And um, as well, currency formats, you know, like um, some languages are, countries are very picky about, you know, should I use a dot or a comma to separate the digits? Also, where does the dollar sign go? Like the dollar sign goes in front of the number and the pound symbol goes after the number or like euro symbol for sure goes after. Yeah, yeah. there's a lot of edge cases there. Yeah, so even if you... Oh, well, you sometimes you even have to change the currency itself. Like you, you get some... Uh, you would like to quickly... When the user changes the settings of, the, of their currency that they like, uh, you might not want to refetch everything from the database, but like actually like translate on the client side. It probably wouldn't be the final price, but it would be a nice user experience with instant feedback. But that's something you'd have to do yourself. Yeah, so even if you start to use like a, a proper uh, library for this, all the stuff, it's, you still need to program it and it, it still takes time and you shouldn't forget it. As this, the same uh, is about like um, where your translations are coming from. Perhaps they are entered manually and you have to, you know, add them for every release or perhaps they are coming from API, like uh, from phrase up. So, so different things to do, um, to think about it, different things to not forget. Um, definitely what is, I would say here is the very often 
forgotten is the um, the the testing. Uh, that's something which you shouldn't forget in estimations. And it's also something that's not easy to do, right? Because to be able to display the screen, like you cannot unit test this uh, easily. Like you have to be able to set up all your data and display a particular screen and maybe, I don't know, take an automatic screenshot of that and combine them all together and send them off to a translator, which means you need mm -hmm. to be able to screenshot your whole app and that's a lot of work. Yeah, yeah. To automate something like this. Yeah, true. Uh, okay, another one as well, I would say uh, testing effort forgotten. This is something which I often, very often underestimate. And the point is that uh, it's, it's, you shouldn't forget about Android, <laughs> especially about testing Android. And I would say the Android is, is kind of becoming the, the internet explorer in the mobile world on perhaps not the whole Android, but I would definitely give this prize to Samsung. Um, so what, I, what do I mean by that? It's like uh, you have, Android is it's huge. It's like the amount of the devices running Android is really uh, mind blowing, right? And all these uh, this, this devices have really different range of capabilities. And some of them are faster, some of them are slower. It means like, for example, some animations will look very good and some are not gonna look so good. And you would need to adjust uh, for, uh, for, for, for slower devices if if your client's gonna have this kind of phones, mobile phones. And uh, what I mean by Samsung uh, in this case? Well, Samsung is a very, is pop a very popular phone, um, but they tend to override, override a lot of Android uh, system parts. And, uh, and like, for example, some music uh, widgets which you use to, to control uh, the application when it's in background, uh, working differently on Samsung in comparison to other Android implementations. And that's mean, like, even if, if it looks good on emulator, if it, it, it looks on other devices, you always need to test on, on Samsung devices. So basically, uh, you, you need more, you need to put more effort in testing in comparison to, to iPhone. And this is something which I tend to forget, you know, like uh, I think, okay, because I'm iOS user basically. Um, so I think, okay, this is gonna be that hard to test and okay, Android will be the twice hard and so on, but it, sometimes it's much more. And, and this is something which you really shouldn't forget. Uh, and this is something which comes with every, um, with every feature. And yeah. Also, you have to be realistic about it. What kind of phones are you gonna support? In fact, because uh, if you make an application that runs on Android, it will technically be able to run both on small phones and the big tablets uh, and the tablets that you get in between. But the question is, does it look well? Does it look good? Uh, do you really want it to run on the tablets, or should you like block it and wait for a dedicated application that that takes uh, advantage of the big screen that's available? Uh, there's a lot. Of, for for example, you have those new foldable screens. Mm -hmm. uh, do you really want to support them? Do people use them? Uh, how many of your users would actually like appreciate the the effort that goes into preparing every screen to work well with uh, with this foldable API? 
And with iOS, it's fairly easy because they don't have so many models and they tend to stick to similar features. Like when the notch came out, there was a problem in the beginning when you had to start supporting the new phones that have a notch and people were complaining about it. Now everybody's used to it and they support it and it's not a problem anymore because it became kind of the standard. But with Android and it, the diversity of the ecosystem, it's very hard to be able to support every possible every possible phone. I remember bugs that I hit when uh, phones with two SIM cards came out. Mm -hmm. And uh, suddenly code that was like working perfectly fine for a phone that uh, has only one SIM card. It was like a native API that used to return a string. For this particular, uh, for this particular phone, it was returning an array. And like and uh, it was on the native side, crashes started uh, happening, and uh, at the beginning we didn't know why. And then after analyzing what's the difference between the phones where it works and the phone where it crashes, we 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 found it. But uh, in the beginning you don't know what's going on, and you have to make a decision that uh, what's the uh, surface that you're gonna support actually. Yeah, I mean like these are three things which you have to think about: it size, a speed. And then edge cases in implementation of Android that at least that you, you should always test. Uh, okay, so I would uh, take us now to the last point I have. There are more, but this is the, the last one which I, I picked for today. And uh, it's going to be about deployment configurations. So, you know, your application is now live. Many users are using it and then you need to still work on it. And this is something understandably forgotten at the beginning, because perhaps at the beginning you don't need it. But, uh, you know, the goal is to release the application and the goal is to, to, have to, to make this application very successful, which means as well you will need to work on it more. And you will need deployment configurations, right? And what does it mean? I mean, once the app is live, you would need to have the this live application, this production version installed on your phone to test it, to see um, how it works. If somebody reports a bug, you know, you have to test it. And then uh, you need as well another version of this app installed uh, for the future uh, releases, like uh, which you, where you're going to test the features you implement uh, and so on. And this is doesn't come for free. Like it, if you have only, if you have a program in um, in the first place, you can only have one application installed because every application is gonna have the same bundle ID. That means it's gonna they gonna overwrite each, each other when you install um, a new version. So you need to 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 set up uh, at least the bundle IDs to be able to to have two apps on the phone. But actually, it will not be two apps from the from then on because we also have iOS and Android, so you have uh, two bundle IDs per platform. Yes. So suddenly, d you're doing deployment of four different apps every time you merge something. Yes, yes, and, and you can see like I sometimes make this this uh, shortcut to to think only on iOS to to you know it's it's kind of mental um, mental help uh, to to separate problems in smaller buckets, but then you have yeah, problems yeah. with estimations. You just have to multiply it by two at the end. <laughs> but then you have problems with estimations. Um, but yeah, uh, usually when I say uh, one bundle ID, I mean that for both platforms, of course. And uh, But that's not enough 
because then uh, you have two applications installed, but then you have as well only one um, error reporting, right? So you're gonna start to have mixed exceptions uh, from development and from production, which is not never a good idea because um, you want to be very sure that your production application works perfectly and you don't get any exceptions. And um, the other things which you start to have is a double analytics. Uh, well, you need to, to implement, uh, let's say, double analytics because otherwise you will gonna push um, your automatic tests in, uh, you know, clicks and views into production analytics bucket. So it's very bad as well because it's gonna um, it's gonna skew your numbers, which you don't want. And um, yeah, so this is something um, something which has to be programmed and it should be done automatically because you don't want to go and change the bundle IDs on your own. So uh, you have to program an automatic setup uh, for, for deploying these two versions or at least two versions. Perhaps you, you will have more than just production and staging. You will have, uh, let's say, QA version and so on. And... Um, this is, uh, yeah, definitely something which doesn't come for free. Uh, it has to be programmed, but it's uh, important. And it's like, I would say there is, uh, there shouldn't be any app out there without uh, such a setup because it's, it's going to be a mess. So you really need a, a deployment configurations when you, when the goal is to have like the Seaworthy application and not only a demo at the end of the day. Yeah, definitely. If you're going to go out to the wild sooner or later, uh, you will need this. And it's better to take the time to build good infrastructure uh, if you're not pressed for time that you, you need it for tomorrow, because that's where the under the pressure, that's when the mistakes happen. Yeah. And uh, there are many more points like, uh, you know, offline access often forgotten, underestimated, uh, app upgrades, what should happen? Uh, did you ever test the application um, if it's going to work when somebody install a new version of your app, right? Uh, payments, payments integration, uh, login experience, like, like uh, social logins and so on. So there are many more points about it and perhaps we're going to make another episode about it if it's, uh, it's, if it's interesting for, for the listeners. Um, but for now, to keep the, our very first episode kind of manageable, uh, I, I think we should we should finish here. What do you think, Wojtek? Yeah, I think you're right. Basically, any subject that we touched on uh, warrants an episode by itself and just a matter of uh, time and, uh, I know, feedback from the listeners, what you would like us to dive into, because probably we could talk for hours even ab just about deep linking. Uh, I'm sure Patrick has a lot of horror stories around that. Uh, I could share similar ones about the push notifications. It's a fresh wound that uh, opens up on every every new project. Uh, so yeah, I think it's a good time to to cut it short. Uh, and it was great talking to you, Patrick. Uh, I think we'll speak again soon to uh, try to rec record another episode. Yeah. Do you have any idea what are we gonna talk about next time? Yeah, I think we're going to talk about TypeScript. And I think oh, yeah. we're going to try to make every episode every week. It's going to be hard, but let's do it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, let's, let's try. It's, let's uh, try. Should aim for the fences, right? Yeah. <laughs>
Thank you for listening to the episode. Please subscribe if you haven't yet, and if you like our show, consider sharing it with your friends. You will find notes to this episode on our page, brainsandbeards.com slash podcast, where you can as well leave us feedback or suggest a topic for the future episodes. We would be very happy hearing back from you. Stay safe and curious. Till the next one. Bye.